I imagine that for all of you, you have experienced in life a moment or most likely moments of revelation, Uh, moments where something new, something hidden or maybe something that's unknown all all of a sudden is revealed to you. Where you're like, oh, wow, okay, I didn't know that. Uh, Maybe some of you, and I haven't had this experience, maybe some of you have had a moment where you've discovered that you are to receive an inheritance. That would be a moment of revelation where you're like, whoa, okay. Or maybe it's as simple as just having those moments in when you're enjoying a story or a movie where there's all of a sudden something's revealed and you're like, okay, like, you know, the moment that you discover who Darth Vader really is. You know, like Star Wars saga, I don't know. Like, think of these different things. Or maybe it's the moment when you discover something that you didn't know about something that's happened or happening in a family member's life. In these moments of revelation, we typically don't just experience the revelation. It's not like you, you have that thing happen in a vacuum, we are simultaneously confronted by these moments. When you have a moment of revelation, you're also confronted by that. And there is this question that's posed to you of how will you respond? One such moment of revelation and confrontation was written into a fictional story that was crafted about 177 years ago that I'm sure all of you are familiar with, written by the famous author Charles Dickens. It's called The Christmas Carol. And I imagine that most of you know that the main character of that story is a gentleman named Ebenezer Scrooge, who in this story experiences a revelation. The revelation that he experiences, which is a weird experience, how he gets it through these like visions and dreams, is that he is unliked, that he is unloved, And that he's living his life for the wrong reasons. And he's confronted by this revelation, by the thought that all this maybe is true. And that he himself is selfish and greedy. And I say that story to you just to show you how revelation leads to confrontation. And this actually happens sometimes through God. God will reveal and confront us with things. And one such moment of revelation that we have is the Advent season that we celebrate this time of year. In fact, I have the privilege of starting our four-week Advent series. Yes, it's November, but just it's how the calendar falls this year. We only have four weeks and then it's going to be after Christmas, which is crazy to think about. So for the next four weeks, we're going to look at Jesus' arrival from what may be perhaps a unique perspective What we've decided to do in these four next Sundays, including this one, is to examine four moments of divine revelation around Jesus' birth. Four moments where we have this moment of revelation involving Jesus. And I say divine because each of these have moments that we're going to look at where something supernatural happens. You may already be thinking where we're headed with this. Yes, we will talk about angels and we'll talk about, you know, angelic choirs showing up. But we're also going to talk about these supernatural moments when the Holy Spirit stirs up people to prophesy. When we say that word prophesy, what we're talking about is speaking divinely about the future. 
And so we've, dis- we've titled this series, Reveal, because these miraculous moments reveal something that is very, very important. What they reveal is this truth, that this baby that we celebrate in the Advent season is no ordinary ba- baby. These moments of revelation, all four of them are like big arrows pointing us to the truth that this child is in fact the Son of God, revealing that truth. Each of these four weeks is going to have some crossover. Obviously, we're talking about Advent, we're talking about the arrival of Jesus, but they will each be standalone messages. And so we don't have a particular order that we're doing them. In fact, this one, if you were to try and order it, the one that I'm about to tell you about this moment, probably would come last in all of them. It's maybe perhaps a little bit more of an obscure moment that you may not have thought about as much. When we think of divine revelation, we often think of angels and messages given to Mary and Joseph. We think of the shepherds, all of that stuff. And those are things that we're going to talk about and look at. But today we're going to look at a moment that happened 40 days after all of that other stuff. And you're like, okay, 40 days. (laughs) How do we know what was happening 40 days after the birth of Jesus How can we possibly know what was happening at that moment? Well, you're going to actually look and see how we know that with me, if you don't mind. So Luke is where I'm going to turn in the Bible, and I invite you to do the same. So I'm going to the book of Luke, and I'm going to be reading from chapter 2 of the book of Luke. The book of Luke was written by, no surprises here, a guy named Luke, and he was a doctor, uh, and, and because he was a doctor, one of the things that we can deduct reasonably is that he was probably a very analytical person. He liked to get facts and things sorted out and things in order. Uh, we, we're told actually by him at the start of the book that he, he discovered a lot of the things that he wrote about by going and talking to witnesses that actually saw these things happen. And so when we look at the book of Luke... We come to chapter 2 and it talks about, you'll see a heading there, the shepherds and the angels and all of that we're pretty familiar with. But I want you to actually look to what happens right after the shepherds. So we're going to go to verse 21 and start there. It says this, this is right after it tells us what happened to the shepherds. It says this, and at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. This is the baby. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, just pause there for a moment with me. What we have going on here is interesting because it's like Luke is pulling back the curtain to anybody who's not Jewish. Because there's several Jewish things going on here that we just don't culturally understand. It's like he's pulling back and whispering to us and saying, hey, just so you know, this is what's going on. And so what he tells us is that, yes, Jesus was born, but eight days after that, Because he was a male, he was circumcised, and in that process, in that ceremony, he was given officially his name, Jesus. And then 33 days after that, they went up to the temple in Jerusalem, 
And by the way, you always went up to the temple because it was on a hilltop, so it didn't matter which direction you're coming from. So they go up to the temple, and there they present themselves as a family in this part of this purification because having a baby is, is messy. And so part of what they would do as culturally was to say, we're going to purify ourselves as a family and, and dedicate ourselves to God. You can actually read about these laws in Leviticus chapter 12. You'll find all sorts of information there. Little side note here, by the way. We can deduct from some of what Luke's saying here that Mary and Joseph were poor. They were not well off. The fact alone that it talks about them offering uh, birds as a sacrifice, that was what poor people would do. If you were richer, you would offer a lamb for the purification. Okay, So here they are going through this process. And what we're going to see next is the supernatural revelation of God. And it's not going to be something like there's an explosion or flame that comes down or a voice from heaven. But what we're actually going to see is two humans speaking prophetically about Jesus and revealing his significance. So as we read through these passages, which we're about to do on from here, I want to point out three things this moment of revelation shows us. I'm just going to make three observations, three main observations. I'm sure I'll make more than three, but three main observations about what this revelation shows us. And I really want to just let the text talk. So this isn't going to be all neat and cute. They don't all kind of fall into this beautiful pattern. But my hope is that we'll be able to kind of look at all three of these things at the end of our time and ask the question, okay, as we look at these three things, what is God saying to each of us specifically? Okay, so just stick with me. We're going to look at at this passage, make some observations, and then kind of say, okay, God, what are you saying to us out of this? So let's read on. It says this in verse 25 of chapter 2 of Luke. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when... The parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel." We're told here that Simeon was this righteous and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel. What's that about? Well, this word consolation, if you look it up, it it appears several times in the New Testament and sometimes it's translated as comfort or encouragement. And so Simeon is waiting for the comfort, the encouragement, the consolation of Israel and what it's speaking about is the fact that he is waiting for the things concerning Israel that had been foretold to actually happen for wholeness and freedom and, and, and the, the restoration of Israel to take place. You see, from the very first book of the Bible, if we were to flip all the way back there to Genesis, God had been speaking 
to the people of Israel promising to restore, promising to make things right ever since the part of Genesis chapter 3 where we talk about the fall, where sin came into the world. God has been promising, hey, things are going to be made right and I'm going to do that through a special people, a special family, which is the people of Israel. And so Simeon is waiting for that to occur. And we're told that he's this righteous and devout man, that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And we're also told that he comes into the temple in this moment because the Spirit prompts him. He's like, okay, going up to the temple. I don't know exactly what that looked like or how that occurred, but he went up. And you've got a picture with us as we read here the scene. Because what we're told is Mary and Joseph are walking into the temple. Okay, these are some poor young couple, right, with this 40 about 40-day-old baby that they're holding. They're probably a little sleepless, and they're walking in with this newborn, carrying him just out of town, as you know, walking in. Then all of a sudden, this older gentleman comes across towards them, makes a beeline for them, and says, may I hold this child? And Mary, maybe, you know, a little apprehensively, passes Jesus across, and he picks him up in his arms, and what does he start to do? He speaks prophetically. He speaks and says, thank you, God. That's the first thing he says. Thank you, God. Thank you that you've kept your word to me personally. You told me by your Holy Spirit that I was going to see the Messiah, and here he is. I'm holding this baby in in my arms who's the Savior of the world. I'm sure there was all sorts of emotions, maybe tears running down his eyes as he's doing this. And he goes on and says, this baby is the Messiah. He's going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. That's the language that's used, a light of revelation. And then he goes on and says, and a glory to God's people, Israel. Now, this is an interesting distinction. Why doesn't he just say, this is the Savior of the world, or this is the Messiah? Instead, he says, the Gentiles, he'll be a revelation. To Israel, he'll be a glory. Well, I believe the reason for this is because Israel already had the revelation of God. They'd been given the Old Testament law, the Torah. They'd been given the law and the prophets that all spoke about who God was and his plan of salvation. And so the people of Israel have already had the revelation. They're just waiting for this Messiah, this Savior to come. And here this baby is. Who is this Savior? But amazingly, what Simeon is prophesying is this baby isn't just for Israel. In fact, this is the Savior of all mankind. And so for the Gentiles, he's saying this is going to be something completely new, a revelation. And for the people of Israel, he will be a fulfillment of what's already revealed. He will be a glory to what's already been revealed. Now we could delve into this more and it's really interesting, but Simeon hasn't finished And so I want you to read on with me what happens next. And again, try and picture this with me. It says, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, listen to this, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now just pause there for a moment. You can probably picture with me that Mary and Joseph are standing there in this moment with their mouths wide open. They're like, 
You know, like, we've already had angels and stuff, but here's this guy saying, this is not just the savior of Israel, this is the savior of everyone. Here's, here's a revelation. He's going to, you know, be the, the Messiah. And the Messiah may be looking a little different to what we expected. So they're here, and it says in verse 33, they marveled. Okay, so they're standing there, and this is happening. And Simeon seems to, in this moment, shift his attention to them. And it says that he blesses them. I'm not sure what he said exactly. But then he turns his attention specifically to Mary. And what does he say to Mary? Well, to me, as I read it, it sounds rather cryptic and confusing, a lot more so than the first part of what we read in verse 29 through 32. He says, if you look at it in verse 34, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And I think we should read that and kind of ask this question, okay, What's that about? Well, if you read on into the life of Jesus, we find out what that's about. I mean, if we were to read on through the book of Luke, which I'm, I'm not going to stand here and read through the whole book of Luke today, although maybe that would be great. Um, but if you read through the book of Luke or any of the, of the accounts of Jesus in, in Matthew, Mark, or John, what you will find there is exactly what this is talking about, this rising and falling Many who were religious in this day in Israel and thought they were good by their own standards were following the law and doing all that God required. When they saw Jesus later in his life, they rejected him. They're like, I don't need this guy. I'm already righteous. They were self-righteous. And these self-righteous people, from what we understand from the scriptures, were causing themselves to fall into judgment because they were rejecting Jesus. Simultaneously, many who were outsiders and sinners saw Jesus and in Jesus saw grace and saw hope. And so they reached out to Jesus and were forever changed and they were raised to a new life. They were born again and experienced this rising up. And so Jesus is this this character who, who causes the falling and the rising of many as is prophesied here years ahead of time by Simeon. And this reminds us that Jesus is not a neutral character. You can't just look at Jesus' life and think, oh, he's a nice guy. I like Jesus. I mean, Jesus is this guy. I mean, Simeon himself talked about this fact that he is, you know, the Messiah who was foretold. Jesus himself said that he was the Son of God. A nice guy does not claim to be the Son of God. And this is where, I've said this before, but this is where C.S. Lewis is so helpful. He has this little kind of phrase where he says, basically, you've got three options when it comes to Jesus. You can't just ignore him. You can't pretend he didn't exist historically. You can either reasonably believe that he was a liar, the world's greatest con man, making up statements that he was the son of God, or secondly, he was a lunatic, this guy that was out of his mind. Just crazy, saying things that weren't true, or he was exactly who he said he was, Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so as verse 34 puts it for us, Jesus causes people to face a decision and and in that they rise or they fall. When he was revealed to us, when Jesus is revealed to us, we are confronted with a choice to either believe or to reject. All of us face that. I mentioned earlier that I was going to point out three things that this passage shows us, three main observations, and this is the first one. 
Jesus confronts us with a decision about what we will believe about him. He, does, we, he isn't just revealed, he confronts. confronts us with that decision. If you went actually to the end of verse 35, what you see there, it says, all of this happens so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus is one who exposes what we believe in our hearts. And he divides people. Jesus divided people back in the day when he was here on earth. You read about that as you read through the accounts given. But he also divides people today. If we were to go walk door to door in this neighborhood, we would find people who say, oh yes, I do believe. We'd find others say, no, no way. All that will matter at the end of time is what we believe, what we think and believe about Jesus. And so I want to ask a question, and I will come back to this, and that is, what do you believe about Jesus? All of us in this room, we need to consider that. There's actually more to what Simeon says, though. He's, as he speaks, he speaks and says something specifically to Mary. In my translation, it's in parentheses. It says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul. This is, again, you read this and you're like, Okay, what are we talking about here? What's, what's this about a sword? Well, Simeon's speaking prophetically to the pain that Mary's going to experience. And if you haven't thought about it before, I want you to think for a moment about what Mary was going to experience, not just in the days, weeks, and months ahead, but the decades ahead of life. Think about Mary's experience here. She's this young girl, we understand pretty young, And this angel shows up, tells her that she's going to carry the Messiah and that she's going to conceive like supernaturally this baby. And sure enough, she has this baby and all of these angels show up. There's shepherds, there's wise men, all of this stuff going on. And now even this story that we're reading about, there's people just prophetically coming up and speaking over the baby. And so there's all of this crazy stuff going on. And then from what we understand, we don't know a lot of what happens over the coming years. One of the few things we know is written in verse 40. It says, And the child, Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and, in the, and the favor of God was upon him. Mary got to see that firsthand. She witnessed this, this Savior of the world growing up in her home. And where we pick up the story of Jesus is actually about 30 years later, three decades later on. And what it tells us there as we read through the accounts given is that Jesus is baptized and begins this incredible ministry. He's got this group of disciples that he's teaching and bringing along with him. He's doing miracles and people are seeing crazy things happen like incredible healings and and even dead people brought back to life. I mean, really crazy stuff. And then we also see that Mary gets to see all of this happen firsthand. She gets to see thousands of people flocking to him and him teaching them, feeding them miraculously, all of these things happening. Mary sees it all. And it all feels like it's building to these prophetic things that have been revealed. And then in a moment, it all seems to unravel. And we know that Mary was right there and saw all of it. Mary is there as Jesus is arrested and beaten and then hung to die. We at least know she was there as he was hanging 
dying on that cross. He was hung on this Roman instrument of torture and she's in earshot of where he is. All of it seems to unravel in a moment. What's Mary thinking as Jesus is there dying on the cross? I think the best way to describe that would be to say it would feel like a sword going through her soul. God saw the pain that was coming for Mary. And God decides to hear 30 plus years earlier speak of, into that pain ahead of time. And I think that just shows God's care, God's heart. Perhaps in that moment or even later on, she remembers this prophecy. We also know that it wasn't just ahead of time that God was caring for the pain. If you go over to John 19, which we won't do right now, but there's this beautiful story of Jesus there dying on the cross and he sees his mother Mary there and his disciple John and he says, John, you look after her from now on. It's this beautiful moment and it reminds us that God cares about our pain, yes, ahead of time, but even in the moment. And so the second thing that I think it's worthwhile us drawing a circle around as we look at this moment of revelation in Jesus is to realize that God cares about us. We need to hear that this morning. I need to hear that this morning. Truth be told, I'm feeling rather unsettled. We're trying to get back to see family in Australia and I really, really want to go. And now there's all this news coming out of this new variant of COVID. And I'm like, oh my goodness, is this whole thing going to unravel? And each of you have these different things that are going on. That's just me and where we're at today. We each have these things that are going on. As we look at this story, we should know that God cares enough to prophesy 30 years ahead of time that you are going to experience pain, but it's a reminder that God cares. God cares about the details. He cares about our lives. Let's know that this morning. It's interesting as we go from verse 36 onwards, we actually leave Simeon behind. We we have no other record of him. We don't know what happens to him. But we are told something else supernatural that happens. And it's interesting. Read it with me. In verse 36, it says this. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, Of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping and fasting, with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of of Jerusalem. What we're told about this lady, Anna, is rather incredible. We're told that she's a widow and has been a widow for a long time. We're also told that she is a prophetess. And we're also told that she was constantly in the temple, fasting and praying, seeking God, earnestly seeking God. And so, again, we can picture that Simeon is handing back baby Jesus 
to Mary and Joseph. And as that's happening, all of a sudden, off to the side, this lady comes up and just starts declaring that God is real and that God is on the move and that he's bringing about the things that he's foretold. It tells us in verse 38 that she steps up and gives thanks to God and begins to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. Simeon and Anna were both instruments that God used to reveal who Jesus really was. Just as angels were used as instruments to reveal Jesus, and that's often what we focus on in Advent, these two humans, who were simply a man and a woman, like you and me, were also used by God. And I think there's actually something really interesting in that for us, significant in that for us. Because what it reminds us is that God can use humans who are seeking Him to reveal the significance of who He is. And so the third thing for me to draw a circle around as we read this passage this morning is to remind us that God calls us to join Him in sharing the hope that is found in Jesus. Anna and Simeon were just people like you and me, people who loved God. They were devout. They were seeking God, but they were just people. And God used them to reveal himself to others. So this passage is often overlooked at Advent, but it actually does reveal a lot about Jesus. It reminds us that God's son, Jesus, doesn't just confront all of mankind with this question of what we will believe about him, which it certainly does. It also shows us that God is a God who cares and a God who calls. And so I told you earlier, we're just going to make some of these observations. The the fact that God confronts us in Jesus, the fact that God cares and the, the fact that God calls, those are kind of all maybe independent thoughts. But with these three truths in hand from this scripture, I have a few questions just to throw out there for you to consider. And so as we're confronted by this question of who is this Jesus, I want to put that across this room today to say, what do you believe about Jesus? All of you. Is he who he said he was or is he not? We all have to wrestle with that question. And if you're not sure that you're sure about the answer to that question, I would really encourage you to not go on with any other questions I'm going to present. That's the starting point. That's a very important question to ask and to wrestle with and to come to terms with. And if you have questions about that, I'm around after the service. I'd love to talk with you. Or Colin, one of us, would love to talk to you, the person who brought you along. Let's make sure that we are convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And if we're not, Continue to ask that question. Who is Jesus? It's a good question. As we're reminded by this passage that God cares, as we look at the story of Mary, do you know, and I mean do you truly know, that God cares about you? 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your cares upon God because He cares for you. He cares for you. Last week, over at Cantor, we looked at Psalm 139. It tells us in Psalm 139 that God's thoughts for us outnumber the sands, the grains of sands on the seashore. That's hard to say. 
That's an incredible thought. It really is. If you stop and think about it, do you really believe that God cares about you, given your circumstances, given your context, given your struggles right now? Maybe that's a good place for you to park and wrestle with that question. Or maybe for others of you, as you consider that God is a God who calls, it's a consideration of how is God calling you? Will you answer the call to join in revealing God's hope and love found in Jesus? What places, what context has God placed you strategically in to herald, to reveal the name of Jesus? Will you seek God like Anna and like Simeon and be used by him? And so as I've just thrown out this plethora of questions, I simply want to kind of pull it together and say, what is God revealing to you right now? Will you listen to what he's leading you to? Will you be changed by what he's pointing you to, even in the passage today as we've looked at it? I spoke earlier of the Christmas carol story and Ebenezer Scrooge, who after the moment of revelation that he experienced, was no longer a Scrooge. He was a changed man. He was generous. And all he had was some, you know, wafty dreams, some ghosts of Christmas cut past that came by and spoke to him. We have something much more significant. We have Jesus. And so my question to you is, as you look at Jesus today, what is he speaking to you? What is God's word saying to you? And what do you need to do about it? So I'm going to ask you again just to bow your heads and close your eyes as we close out our time. And I want to take you, just give you a moment as Ian comes up. I want you to just take a moment to consider what is it that God's saying to you today? God, I thank you that across this room, you know where every person is. I thank you that you do care about all of us. And as we ask this question of God, what are you saying to us today? What do we need to know that's true? I pray that you would be speaking. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with belief, that you would show yourself to be real and to be Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords, Messiah, Savior of the world. Lord, may that be true and 100% true in everybody's heart here today. God, for others, they need to know today that you care. And so I pray that the story of Mary and your care for her and the reminder of what Psalm 139 tells us, that your, your thoughts for us are so amazing and so many. Lord, that those truths would ring true and, and, and ring home, bring home that thought today that you care, that you love. And for others, God, I pray that this passage would be a, a call to action, a call to not just consider Jesus for ourselves, but to share the hope 
to be spokesmen, led by your spirit, like Simeon, like Anna, God. And so I pray that you would call us and help us to be bold in the places that you put us, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, our circles of friends. God, may we declare Jesus. Thank you that you speak. Continue to just work in our hearts as we, as we consider, as we respond. Thank you. Amen.